and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Yeah, we're back again. The boys are here for a bit of football banter. On the show tonight, Dave Hilda Pryor, but of course. Ricky Hyatt, with more sarcasm, no doubt. Adam Davis, our finance expert. And I'm here, the only thing I'm expert on is Man United. Settle down and have a cup of tea or a vodka and tonic or a gin and tonic and let's enjoy some banter. And good evening everybody and welcome to yet another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And Monday has soon come around again, gentlemen. And uh, first off, that voice you can hear... As always, is Mr. Aidy Hopper. How you doing, Aid? All right, old dog. All right. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Rick Hyatt here, as always, as well. How you doing, Rick? Uh, all the better for speaking to you, David. Why, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And completing our quartet this evening is the superstar that is Adam Davis. How you doing, Adam? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, albeit very touched by your unexpected description of me. <laughs> so, for the listeners who might not have seen it, Adam, do you just want, if you, if I may, do you want to just sort of um, just it's have special. a little chat a little bit about the um, the article that made its way onto the BBC website? Yes, yeah, no problem at all. Um, contrary to popular belief, it's not a controversial article in any way, which is which is good. <laughs> Um, so I accidentally ended up on the BBC and even better, I managed to drop in a certain radio station into said article talking about uh, my general work. Uh, basically, I got uh, asked by the BBC to talk about uh, the summer transfer window, uh, the costs that might be involved to teams that have recently been relegated. Um, to Rick's delight, there was a lot of conversation about Leeds United, uh, as well as Leicester City and Southampton. So um, had a lot of had a lot of chat with that. Um, and the reporter put in certain quotes. Uh, my personal favourite from the overall um, support on the on the article is that Davis lad's quite clever, isn't he? And I have proceeded to use that comment to every opportunity going. Um, so, yeah, basically was talking about what happens during it and giving off all the usual unnecessary knowledge that I usually put on here and instead was given a larger platform to do so. Well, I and, think um, that is bloody staggering. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, Adam, just to clarify for the listeners that that was all done for your day job. It is, yes. Yeah. So, so I was approached uh, on Thursday uh, in my uh, Davis Sports Management capacity, as opposed to my Three Valleys one, uh, and somehow they must have run out of other experts to contact, and that's why they reached out to myself. So, yeah, got contacted by BBC Newsbeat to to talk about it all. Uh, I had previously been on on the radio once before, which was quite exciting. Again, unfortunately, talking about Leeds United, uh, but this time it was in print form and. Uh, was seen around the world, and at one stage was the second most well-read article on the BBC, which I quite enjoyed. So, so have you had any benefits from it, though, Adam, other than the, the I'm sure, mammoth amount of money that the BBC paid for your services, but have you picked up any other sort of commissions, shall we call them? Well, put it, put it this way, I've received as much payment from the BBC as I have done from Three Valleys Radio. Oh, do so uh, <laughs> that, well, that puts into context how well that went down. Um, but yeah, no, had a couple of a uh, couple of inquiries afterwards. Talk about a few interesting things, but of course, the most important uh, contact I received was from a certain Mister Hopper, whether I could come on tonight. Ah, oh, well, there you go. That's nice to hear. Yeah, the listeners will be pleased to have you back where you belong. Might I add, here on football bloody hell. Well, 
that's good to know uh, what's been happening with you, Adam. And that, that article, of course, is still available if people do want to catch up with that. That reminds me of that, that Hugh Grant expression. Um, I think it was Notting Hill it was, where he said, uh, the, I'm sure that the, the readers of Horse and Hand will be in, 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 in whatever the word was. I can't remember what he said that, but it was something to do with Horse and Hand anyway. Oh, it's, it's like Hugh Grant was in the room then, Rick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it, it was very much Hugh Grant being in the room, but one of the outtakes that didn't make the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, carry well, on. We'll um, just touch on a little bit of Yeovil chat. Adam, we haven't had a chance to speak to you over the last couple of weeks or so, no. but um, obviously pre-season has, has got underway and um, the fixtures are announced, Adam, on Wednesday. And I guess... The overriding feeling at the moment, I would imagine, is just excitement and getting this new era off to a, well, just off to a start. Couldn't agree more. I think it's been it's been a really positive few weeks, uh, particularly off the field, simply because we haven't had an on the field to talk about, really. You know, um, under Martin Hellier, a lot of things have changed. A lot of them have been perceived as positive, including, you know, no- notable signings, uh, good stuff happening to Hewish Park. It's all looking in a nice, good direction. But at the end of the day, the thing that really defines a tenure at a club is what goes on on the field. So it'll be really exciting to see how that changes over the next uh, couple of days. There'll be plenty of fixtures I think a lot of people are really excited about. Uh, I'm already hoping to put them into the diary nice and early to come down to some of the sort of the major derbies and, and make a whole weekend of it, which would be really nice. I'm particularly interested in in the Bath one uh, and Taunton are my two personal favourites because I haven't been to Taunton for a very, very long time uh, and I've actually never been to Bath's ground uh, although it looks very, very nice. So a few nice away You days. heard that here first, AD. That's two grounds that Adam's available for comms. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Three Valleys will be delighted. So, uh, so yeah, no, really really looking forward to it. It's uh, It will be interesting to see how these things are put into put into place. I think we've got a lot of faith in in Martin Helly, and as a result, we've had to put a lot of faith in Martin Helly's judgment. Now it's all down to Mark Cooper and his staff. Rick, we went to the club on on Friday, didn't we? And without sort of giving too much away, I know that the supporters do know that um, there's been um, works going on at the ground and bits and pieces. But it does look like that there's something going on there that the supporters are going to be super happy with. I felt like a member of the royal family because it smelt of fresh paint. So, uh, yeah, the place has had a bit of a spruce up. Looks it, it just simple things, and it looks so much better for it. Looks like a more professional outfit. It looks like a new ground, Rick. It just doesn't look like one that's been neglected because the uh, owner doesn't give a monkeys about what's going what's going on there. So that can only be a good thing. Pos- as we're saying, positive vibes all the way around. I mean, there's not a lot more that Martin could have done up to now, realistically. So, uh, yeah, it's just up to the playing staff now. Get off to a flying start. I get a few wins under the belts and uh, keep the keep the good vibes going. Ad, I was just saying to Adam there about the fixtures being announced on Wednesday, and that's probably the point at which everyone can start to mark the calendars and get really excited about the football coming back. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. I mean, uh, as you said, we were up there Friday, wasn't it? And uh, the first thing I saw was uh, this guy talking to Rick and. Uh, I thought, oh, it's one of the workmen chatting to Rick. <laughs> it turns out it was the chairman and owner. So all power to his elbow because he's he's prepared to get in there and get stuck in, and that's exactly what he's doing. And without we we don't want to give away the the, uh, the secrets of what's going on exactly. But uh, suffice to say, Martin has been working very hard, and uh, I think, as you rightly put it, I think all the supporters are going to be well pleased with what they see. Adam, without being guilty of ranking the pressure up before the fixtures have even been announced, but do you know if um, what the early markets are looking at, at, at in the uh, National League South? Because presumably uh, Yeovil would be amongst the favourites, even if by their own admission they might not want it to be that way and sort of try and go over the radar, under the radar as much as possible, if they even can do that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at them in any great detail. Um, I'm I'm not a betting man, but you would have to say so based on simply the heritage and more importantly the likely budgets that the teams have. We 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 won't necessarily have the largest playing budget, but I think we would be on a par with Torquay. So I was I just going to ask, that. Do, do we think that we maybe underestimate some of the budgets that some of these teams have, the likes of Worthing, for instance, in this division? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There will be a few shocks across the season of of clubs that on paper or historically we might have taken a look at and gone that looks winnable. But there's been a lot of there's been a lot of changes over the last couple of years, particularly in the National League level, largely inspired by the likes of um, Reynolds and McElhenney's falling in love with National League football. We're, we're seeing quite a heavy uh, level of investment uh, at the leagues in and around there. And as a result, um, fees that we were expecting, you know, expected player wages or anything like that are significantly higher for, for clubs that we didn't really give too much notice to. I think, uh, well, Ebbsfleet was a really good example of this, that on, on paper weren't a particularly exciting club, but have been backed heavily financially and have replaced Yeovil in the National League this season. Uh, and it will be interesting to see how well they, they do there. Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting one that we should still be looking at the top half of the table, and I think we should still be looking at the playoffs as a as a good performance. But I think anyone that claims that we're going to run away with the league are either extremely hopeful or extremely wrong. Rick, going back to the fixtures as well, is there um, anyone that you try and kind of want to get get done first, or is it a case of hopefully you get a nice home game just to kind of keep that feel good going? Uh, a nice home game to start things off would be lovely. And six points from Weymouth and Torquay. I think we'd all, we'd all settle for, for that, wouldn't we? Very yeah. much so. The fact that um, Adam touches on their aid, that there obviously is a lot of um, derbies that's hoping to get down for, that um, I guess you probably want to see if they're spread out across the season as much as possible, or does that not necessarily matter? Well, I, I imagine that they will be. I mean, obviously, um, New Year's Eve, for example, is always usually a, and Christmas uh, Boxing Day is usually a, uh, a local derby, isn't it? So there's an opportunity for two local derbies for a start. But, um, you know, I, I think, as, as Rick said, you just want a home game to start with and you want a home game that you f- you feel you should be able to, to win. But we're going to have this, this uh, what should we call it, this, this new club element coming into the league um, where everybody wants to beat them. We've got, you know, oh, they're the big boys. They think they've, they've done it all. So we've got to beat them. And, and we are going to get a bit of that, I think, especially with our history of being in the Championship and now we're ending up in uh, National League South, which is which is going to... It's not a pity. I mean, it's part of the game, isn't it, at the end of the day? But it's going to make life a little bit more difficult, I think. That's for certain. So hopefully, once the uh, the fixtures are announced, I believe it's one o'clock on Wednesday. So on our podcast on Wednesday, we'll have a little bit of a chat around uh, who Yeovil have got and start to get excited and start unpicking where the points are going to come from, mm. uh, which is what everyone starts to do in this period. But um, as we progress through the pod, I want to obviously touch on transfers but i'm going to push that back to a little bit later there's quite a lot of activity since we spoke last wednesday but adam i'll come to you because uh england under 21s they find themselves in a semi-final where they will now play israel who they've already beaten in the group stage we had a chat last week about whether or not uh england youth teams maybe mean as much as they maybe once did even if they ever did um What's your thoughts on it as a stepping stone into the first team, if indeed, like I say, that is even a, a pathway? And regardless of that, it's always good news at any level to be in a semi-final. It, at the end of the day, it's still the international team being better than other international teams and therefore is worth celebrating to a certain extent. Um, I think as a if it's used as a yardstick to try and justify whether they should be in the the full, I guess it's the England first team, I guess is the way to describe it. Um, I, I don't think that's ever really been the case. I think the Fort club form is still far, far more substantial and more worth considering um, uh, throughout all of this. You know, if they are good enough, they're old enough, is the sort of the old adage that comes through. You know, Bellingham's got nearly 20 plus caps and he's not even 20 yet. So it's um, it's not necessarily a you have to go through the England and 21s to, to, to make it to, into the top England side. But on the flip side, you don't, uh, it hasn't, you know, it could be the other way around as well. So I think it's a really good thing to see. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of players in there. It's not entirely unsurprising. I don't think to see the players or to see England reach as far as they have, you just have to look at the list of names and that they are all pretty much regular Premier League um, starters now, almost all of them. And, and, and if they aren't, 
they're uh, they're on loan from the big uh, from the rich six and doing very well in the championship and league one so it's a it's a really exciting uh, time to be an england fan i think for for a whole multitude of reasons we've really we've really had a good run of um, a good run since about 2018 and that's still sort of filtering through into uh, into the youth teams even now so a a really exciting set of affairs Rick, in terms of the tournament itself, the fact that England have now are now going to play somebody that they've already beaten in the group stage, there's going to be expectation now that they at least obviously see this through to the final. Yeah, as long as you don't think it's a foregone conclusion just because of a previous result, it's a different stage of the competition, you know, league games or whatever. When you're in the groups, you can still lose one. Well, they obviously have lost one and got through to this stage. So it's a one-off game. And you just hope that um, England can keep, like you say, England's, England's success at any level is is always welcome. And the fact that this isn't buggering up the league programme makes it all the more welcome, really, because that's, that's the biggest gripe that most people have with international football is when it affects the domestic leagues. And this, obviously, because it's the final stages, is in the is in the summer, so it's just something extra to be interested in. And playing most of the players, the level that they're playing at, at club level, is a higher standard than international age group football. So you'd hope that they would do well, really. Just on the flip side, AD, I'll come to you that with this kind of tournament, like Adam's just touched on, if you're a good enough player, i.e. a, Bella, um, a Bellingham, a Saka, etc., the 21s doesn't mean anything because you bypass it straight away and you get into the, and you get into the first team quite early on these days. So, wouldn't surprise me if England went on to win this tournament and then a handful of those players don't even end up making a senior appearance. Well, it's happened before, hasn't it? Um, where we've had successful, um, you know, underage teams and uh, then, as you rightly say, they haven't made it. Um, you know, yeah, the whole the whole standard is, is, is considerably better, I think, than any of the other teams that are competing. And, I mean, the fact that we beat Germany so easily, um, it, it, that in itself is a sign that... Uh, you know we're we're on we're on a winning track here. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, other um, just comparing it to other countries, Adam, that it's still seen as a very credible competition to win. And other countries, like a Germany, Eddie's just touched on, even though they haven't been quite so successful on the pitch, even at senior level, all their um, youth teams. But that's also kind of the point that normally you will find that each age group is kind of at the same level in their own um, tournaments that they're they're looking to win. And that's kind of the same, like I say, for Germany, both good and bad. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's, it's without question a, a tournament worth winning. It's worth shouting about. Yeah, if we look at, uh, I think the last time we won a, a major uh, youth competition, I think it was the under-17s Euros, a couple of um, World Cups. Steve sorry, Cooper, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, but it was. But if you look at the squad of players that are in there, it's actually at the time they were seventeen years old, and we didn't think too much of it. But I think the likes of Phil Foden really made a name for themselves. Then uh, Rianne Brewster, uh, Morgan Gibbs White, and there's quite a few players there that, from a, a Premier League fan, is well aware of. So it, it's still testament, and it's still something that's important to hold on to. On the flip side, if a, uh, I think we still live in a scouting. Uh, culture that a youth player that England play against that looks quite good that we perhaps not given too much consideration for um, chances are they might get a move elsewhere off the back of it not necessarily to England so there's there is still plenty of positives from it and more games is always a is always a good position to be in they know that there's it's not a guarantee that they'll necessarily get a first team point you've got to think about the pool of players you know inherently the the pool of players that can play for the under 21s is limited and therefore if you are quite good you stand a higher chance of being selected but at the uh at the full national team you've got every age available really so so it's with probability it's significantly harder to do so it doesn't mean it shouldn't be celebrated any less rick do you think that we should be putting the likes of the more senior youth players into these tournaments or do you think that if they're already getting senior caps now then it is a bit of a pointless exercise from their point of view or like Adam touches on all experience is his good experience I think they get experience if you're talking about players that could play in this squad but are in the senior yeah. squad or whatever then I don't see there's anything to be unless you're desperate to win it in which case you stack it full of 
your best qualified players, but then you're spreading the net wider. Players that wouldn't necessarily get international opportunities are getting international opportunities because your your Bellinghams and, and Sackers or whatever are in the in, in the uh, senior squad. So that opens up a space for somebody that might not necessarily be a part of the setup otherwise. So I don't think that um, Jude Bellingham's development is missing out because he's not playing in this tournament. So, you know, it's, it's opportunities for, it spreads the net a bit wider, gives more players an opportunity. It backs it up in the experience. stats as well, Rick, doesn't it? Because I'm pretty sure that England under-21's all-time top scorer is Eddie Nketiah. Yeah. And even though so he's no doing good things for Arsenal, obviously nowhere near the England setup at the senior level. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily follow. So they are separate entities, albeit under the same umbrella. And it's, it's good for the development of players. Give them as much experience as possible. It's like I said previously, Jude Bellingham doesn't need to play in this to become a better player. Whereas somebody who's you know a squad player at Nottingham Forest or someone like that and qualifies would benefit more from it than he would. So I, and I think it's it's pretty good the way it's been the way it's been done. If you bypass that that area, then there's no sense going back. Age last point on this as well that it's also one of those things that at the moment the games aren't actually uh, being televised on a mainstream broadcaster. You can get it on UEFA TV, but I wouldn't be surprised if England find themselves in the final. Then suddenly there will be a bit of a bidding war to try and get that final game. Yeah, I thought I actually saw some mention where there was it was going to be available, but I presume that was probably then referring to the UEFA TV uh, deal, if that's what we call it. But yeah, I'm sure if we got to the final, uh, the, the FA would have obviously want to push it. And uh, I would imagine that the players themselves would obviously want to push it because, you know, if they've, if they've got to a final of a World Cup, albeit an age group one, um, they're going to want to shout about it, aren't they? I would have thought. Yeah, I seem to remember the under-17 one, Adam, being on telly, even if it wasn't the whole tournament. Certainly the final, I seem to remember watching it. I, I remember watching it myself. I think it was. Uh, I think it's one of those where the BBC said we'll, we will buy the rights for for a one single game, which 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 UEFA will let you do. So it's uh, it's one of those where they class it uh, class it in the. Hey Adam, by the time that this comes around, you'll be at the top of their contacts list, won't you? I I <laughs> highly doubt it, but we can all but hope. <laughs> um, Elsewhere, then, uh, we would have, you might have seen today that Steven Gerrard has done a little bit of a U-turn and has now find himself managing in Saudi Arabia. Rick Hyatt, my what? friend, we spoke, we spoke a couple of weeks ago because we thought it was going to happen. Then it yeah. wasn't going to happen. So yeah. would it be cynical to ask the question, did they ring up and add a couple of zeros? And that's changed the approach from Mr. Gerrard? I don't think they even needed to do that. I think Slippy's realised that he's not going to get a major opportunity again for a little while until he gets a bit more experience. There are better players in the Saudi league now than there probably were the last time he was offered it. So he might be actually working with a higher calibre of player. But I, I, I just I just think he's the, the penny's dropped. He's not an elite manager and he needs this on his, on his CV to try and, and, and get that. It's, it's like Brendan Rodgers going back to managing Scotland to an extent. It keeps you in the game, keeps your profile up, you get some success, it gives you some... Next time you, you go for a big job, you've got a bit of credibility behind you because you've still been working and not been on a sofa at Sky Sports. So, yeah, I can, I can understand why he's, he's had a rethink, gone back, keep him in the game. So, yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense, really. It, here's a difficult one to gauge, isn't it? Because... Obviously, we've all got our opinions on how Saudi have gone about things, etc. But if we look at the profile of player that are going over there at the moment, it, it, it is working for what they're doing right now. And I, you just talking about Celtic there. I think it was um, Chris Sutton who made a point because their winger, Jota, is going to go to Al Itihad, I think. And he made the point of, well, I'm not really sure why he wants to do that because he's 20, 23, 24 years old and wants to play in Europe. And why didn't he just stay at Celtic to kind of prolong his career in Europe? But is it too cynical, Rick, to say that in this transfer window, you could argue that the Saudi Saudi League is possibly already stronger than Scotland? 
that's it. Oh, don't you say that to Mr. Sutton. He will get his knickers in a twist. Is that a fair question? Is that an unfair question? It's a. It's got bigger. Traditionally, than possibly not, but yeah. your Brozoviches, etc., are now getting you know moves out there. Yeah, it is a nice little retirement pension fund for your thirty-plus-year-old footballer, or Ruben Neves, who will no doubt be loaned back to Newcastle at some point. So uh, far be it for me to be cynical about the whole tatty operation. Get on, you're always cynical. What about the fact that the number of players just just in the last week, ten days, that have gone over there? It seems to have suddenly, from a drip, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the taps full on now, and everybody's piling in because. Uh, I mean, I expect the next one will be go will be David De Gea, uh, because he's sort of being mucked about by United at the moment, and and who can blame him really if if you know he's just got married, and he needs the money obviously. Adam, how do you see this whole situation without opening that particular can of worms again? But as AD says, in the last week or so, there does seem to be a more wider range of profile of players that that are going over there, and like I say, if it, particularly when Chris Sutton's comments about Scotland. Well, you actually look at these leagues and you compare it with players for players down the leagues. You think, actually, maybe they are in a position where they're able to push themselves forward quicker than people might think is capable of happening. I don't, I don't think you can claim that they're not uh, really trying to have a go at it. I think, I think Saudi Arabia really, it's, it's quite obvious that they are investing in this and they are going all guns blazing on it, which is, which is great. Um, my argument is that it isn't stronger than Scotland. The reason for that is you've got to remember where the league started. And I say started, I'm talking the beginning of this season. It was. It is a lot of Saudi Arabian players, of which Saudi Arabia are a fairly decent national team now. They're still in the, in the top 50, so, you know, reasonable, but less than Scotland, I would argue. And therefore, the quality of the average player prior to that was probably lower. But they have significantly higher star power. There are there are more players coming in here which will drag the overall quality of the uh, of the league up. Will it bring it up to to challenge them this quickly? No, no, I don't think so. The reason for this is uh, there is a distinct lack of infrastructure outside of those rich four that the um, have been nationalized, um of which Stephen Gerrard's El Efitat, or whatever it's called, uh, is not one of them. Um, I've just pulled up the list of players there. You know, we reeled off. They're all off to Saudi Arabia. They're all, but they are only off to four in particular, uh, four clubs. Uh, none of them are being managed by Stephen Gerrard. So whether he's whether he's expecting more teams or more players to go in that direction that aren't being backed by the huge amount of Saudi funding, um, who knows? Uh, but again, I think it might be a case of when he went to, he, because for some reason he had to fly to the country to consider an offer, um, as if emails don't exist. Um, and now we're, uh, he's probably gone and uh, reviewed again. And like you say, there's probably one or two extra zeros on the end of his contract. You've made a really good point there, Adam, because, Aid, it's quite easy for us to obviously overhear on these aisles to say that Saudi Arabia are you know, doing what they can to take over, for want of a better phrase. But like Adam says it doesn't necessarily mean that it's every club that's got an unlimited pot. There might still be clubs there that have their own, obviously, you know, restrictions like everybody else. I think the thing is, you compared, you made a sort of sweeping statement, is is the Saudi league on a par with I was the just, Scottish I league? I was just asking the question. Yeah, no, OK, but um, <laughs> whatever. But uh, I think Sorry, Scotland if, you'd, if you'd have asked it in the manner that are the four teams that have been nationalised on a par with the Scottish League, I suspect there might be a question of, of answering yes to that. But, uh, as you say, there's four teams that are going to be pulling in the better players. Um, and clearly, Cristiano Ronaldo started the whole... Him and uh, Benzema, I suppose, are the two leading players that go over there. But I would have thought that, um, like I say, I think you could you could possibly compare those four teams with the Scottish League. Because apart from Celtic and Rangers and Hearts and Hibernian, I mean, who else have you got in Scotland that's any good? Well, I think that's the point. What I'm going to be more interested in seeing is what they do after this first couple of windows. Mm. Because the comparison between here and what happened with the Chinese Super League back in 2016, there are an awful lot of comparisons between the two where they there was suddenly a massive increase in investment 
on the playing side of of these uh, of these leagues and therefore people started to take notice and people started to get worried but what they didn't really do was invest heavily in the coaches in the infrastructure and the overall quality of the product from a fan perspective it's going to be a lot it takes a long time to win people over beyond just isn't that nice that that particular player is there yes there is interest uh, increased interest in al nasir in, in just under the last year, simply because they've had Ronaldo. Al Itihad will massively increase with the likes of Benzema and Kante under the side. It's, it's, uh, I think it has to be more long term. And if we still can see this same consistent level of high spending over the next couple of years, then yes, I think we can start to take it seriously. But until then, it's just a lot of money being thrown at a very few players with, uh, doesn't look like much of a long-term plan as of yet be interesting as well um rick from a consumer perspective because you know depending on how long this goes for and how many more players go over there you know, might get to the point when um rights start getting bidded for etc and someone like myself i touched on you the only this week that i'm a, um a self um confessing football nerd and I'm starting to think, then, Dave? and I'm and I'm starting to think, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing some of the goals of this league, you know. And I'm, I'm probably not helping the situation. Have you but had an the... offer yet, then, Dave, or what? Uh, I haven't. No, oh. um, the Three Valleys equivalent over in Saudi haven't approached me as of yet. But I will let you know in good time if and when that does happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't go, Dave. It's the future's here. You don't have to go elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Stay with us, brother. Uh, the, the com- if people are complaining about, um, which I'm not, despite my uh, opinion of the league, about them paying an awful lot of money and, and cherry-picking players and getting them over there, that's exactly the same complaint that the rest of Europe have had about the Premier League for the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. So um, it's understandable that they see this as a way of doing it. But the point Adam was making, we had to, talking about... That's exact same thing with um, Steve Rutter, if you remember, a week or so ago. Would they not be better off investing this much money in the infrastructure and bringing through players and raising the whole standard? It, it, there is an element of uh, building the roof before the foundation with, with that. But then again, I guess they're just looking at the moment to raise the profile. As long as they do invest in other aspects of the game and not just as many big names as possible, on a final payday, then it it might well work. But if all they're going to do is just cherry pick anyone over thirty years of age and have it with that, it would just be a a bit of a, a seniors league with I no wonder, actual point to it. Really, I wonder what It'll the be... opinion over there is of of the effect of Ronaldo going over. Do they look upon that as being a successful transfer in terms of publicity? Now, mainly, I'm talking. I mean, you're right. He's, he scored quite a few goals, I think, but I mean, you'd expect him to. But I wonder if they look upon it from a purely publicity point of view. Has that been a success? Resounding success, I would have thought, because we're all talking about a league that we were unaware of before he went over there. So from that point of view, yes, yeah, undoubtedly. But doesn't he want to leave his club now? He's having a bit of a assault, which is unusual for a 38-year-old man. Hmm. I think it's... Uh, I've seen similar things. Every, all, the, all the data I've seen has indicated that uh, locals in Saudi Arabia are absolutely loving it. Mm-hmm. But they are so excited by uh, the global appeal that this league now has. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. People my uh, slightly younger than myself, sort of that generation, 20 and under, we're seeing a growing level of trend of play, uh, people who are football fans and not necessarily fans of clubs, but more of fans of individuals. Yeah, And as a result, uh, having arguably the second largest profile in football in their country is always going to drive huge level of interest. We we see that even in Premier League terms. You know, people were so excited, albeit it didn't quite work out as we planned, but there was a lot of excitement when Ronaldo returned to Manchester United because of the global appeal that, Man- uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo has on top of the already well-established brand that is Manchester United. So, so into... In terms of for Saudi Arabia, this is the same level of excitement. I think you've, I think you've nailed, I think you've alluded to a good point, Rick, where it's the idea of what is actually, what is actually the goal of the investment, and 
with China, it was very obvious. They uh, Xi Jinping, who's the uh, the leader of China, made it very clear that he wanted to make China a global footballing powerhouse. The idea being that they were in a position to win the World Cup by 2050. Now, let's be honest, that looks really unlikely at the moment. But back in 2015, when they were pumping all that money in, there was a lot of conversation around it because they wanted to win on a sporting terms. And it was purely based on sporting factors. Is that the same case for Saudi Arabia or are they looking to change the nation's perception on a global stage rather than necessarily they don't necessarily care too much what it does to the Saudi Pro League they are very concerned about what it does for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia of course there's one other thing to take into account in England for example you know football fans all over the country travel here there and everywhere now I'm not very good on geography I don't know in in sort of comparison terms how big Saudi Arabia is in compared to England but, I mean, there's four major centres, I think I'm right in saying, big cities. Um, and, and then you've got an awful lot of sand, I, I guess, in the middle. Are they all going to be travelling the, the length and breadth of Saudi Arabia to follow their teams? Or are they just going to go to the home games? This is, I, I, think, I think we will see that. I think, unlike in the UK, where population is sort of spread out quite heavily through you know, quite a few major cities, my understanding of... Uh, the socio-demographics of Saudi Arabia, um, that he, they are based, a lot of the vast majority of people are based in those major cities where they're already there, mainly Riyadh and Jeddah, which yeah. are the two biggest cities and also where they've got all four of those highly nationalised clubs. So in terms of from an attendance point of view, from an away attendance perspective, I don't think we're going to see a huge amount. But the real appeal is the fact that they are going for the clubs that are already well supported in Saudi Arabian terms. I don't know what the average attendance is. Um, I'm sure we'll see a slight uptick. I think the main thing we'll see if this investment continues is potentially a huge rise in football tourism, where we have people like ourselves who are quite interested in the concept of going to go and watch the Saudi Pro League, and we fly over and we go on holiday there for a week and we buy a ticket and then we move on again. But we've done it because we've perceived Saudi Arabia as being quite an interesting country. As a result, Saudi Arabia's goal of investing in the football uh, has worked. That's the real goal. Isn't that effective use of sports washing? It would depend on what we're trying to hide to claim whether it's sports washing, but in the purpose of this, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I don't think they'll have any of the fixtures on the same days as the beheadings. They'll probably try and keep those as far apart as possible. No, there was, um, and and it will be an interesting one with that. I saw a very interesting article this morning that was actually looking at um, even with Premier League clubs, we we see how they appeal to certain countries with their um, global brand, and that's what Saudi Arabia would like to uh, copy. Uh, for example, if you just look on the Twitter pages, the one that is, um, say, Liverpool's, uh, I think they're French and they're uh, Chinese uh, Twitter pages, have got the pride flags and everything like that uh, well displayed. Uh, nothing to be seen uh, in Saudi Arabia, uh, in the from the Arabic channel. So... Who's to say whether we they won't copy uh, in a similar level of, we'll show you some things, but we won't show you everything. Mm-hmm. Well, like I say, we, uh, we'll we keep dipping our toe into, into Saudi on the pod because as the transfers pick up, I'm sure that there's still going to be deals that do uh, end up materialising before the, the transfer window is out. So and if, go- and if they do decide to pick up on Anthony Martial and he needs to lift to the airport, I am available. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's the kind of um, profile of player that we've touched on that you would imagine would get snapped up uh, in the not-too-distant future. Absolutely. I wonder if he'd wear his gloves. That would be pushing it, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> even, for, even for him. I think there's about two weeks in the middle of uh, July when he doesn't play football in gloves, but we'll see. Hmm. Transfers that have been completed. Um, one for Liverpool, one for Newcastle in the last... 48 hours, um, Sobislai and Tanali, AD, local lads. Well done, you there. got that. Well, well, I'm impressed, mate. Um, it must be, you know, I know how frustrated you get from your team getting the business over the line. Obviously, Mount looks like he's having his medical now, so that should hopefully, from your perspective, get done uh, relatively quickly. But the fact that Liverpool brought in two now, Newcastle have 
identified someone, managed to get it over the line. Are you getting a bit frustrated from a United perspective? Well, yeah, I am. But, but, but the reason I'm getting frustrated is that, you know, I'm more frustrated with the takeover business because whilst that's going on, we can only go with, you know, within the financial fair play rules. And that's limiting us largely to what we can or can't do. Having said that, I look on my phone tonight and apparently we have uh, agreed terms with... Uh, I'll just try and pronounce his name for you, which I'll probably struggle Go with. Go on. Um, pronounce Mason Mount, Eddie. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Mason Mount. Uh, hang on, I can't find the, the doofer. Um, Amranat or Amra, Amra Brat or... Something along those lines, anyway. Uh, we've agreed terms with him. Um, so uh, I would have thought if we've got as far as agreeing terms, then maybe he's going to be on his way. Um, I don't know. It's sort of it's one that's been fairly quiet up until the last couple of days. Have you heard about it, Rick? No, I was hoping you were going to fill me in on. Uh, well, on apparently he, he's, he comes from he's Moroccan, isn't he? Played in the World Cup. And uh, he yeah, came... Fiorent, Fiorentina midfielder. Yeah, he came from. Um... Oh God, I lost it now. Where did he come? Monaco, Monaco, apparently. So he's possible. Then apparently we've got a, another bid in, second bid going in for this guy uh, in Denmark, um, striker. Again, I'm not too hot on his what? name. Hoyland. Who? Hoyland. I don't know what his name is anyway. No, he's he's Danish. Oh, right. Yeah, well, he's Danish. This is the one I'm on about. He's Danish. Rasmus Hoyland. He's, yeah, that's he's the one. That's yeah. the fella. He's a Danish striker. There was a lot of rumours around him. Yeah, uh, they, they looked quite doubled exciting. the price for him, didn't they? One minute he what's was 35 to 40 million. The next thing, he's 86 million. But uh, I don't quite know what's going to happen there. But, um, you know, am I frustrated? Yes, but not, not particularly because we have got Mount. It looks like we're going to get some sort of a goalkeeper situation sorted out. Um, and it does sound as though they're getting a little bit anxious to get this. Uh, what did you say his name was again, Adam? Hoyland. Hoyland, that's the boy. Um, yeah, which, yeah, he sounds like a, a reasonable prospect. At least he's young um, and he's not 30. And although it would be lovely to have Harry Kane, I, I just I just don't see that as being particularly good business. I don't know what you think. about you, Adrian, but I think 30 is very young. What, but then again, I'm 56, so... Yeah, well, exactly. Well, wait, wait until you get to my age, then. Um, but no, what, what, are you saying you don't you don't rate the idea of signing him, then, or not? Big Hoyland? I yeah. think it'd be an unusually good idea, but that's what happens when uh, Man United buy players that the manager wants, not ones that they think will sell shirts in Thailand. Yeah, quite. So it's, it's... Adam, Adam, in terms of the, the, the deals that have got over the line, so Soboslai and, and Tenali, are they too players that you think fit those profile clubs and what they're after I was talking to one of my mates earlier on today who's a Newcastle fan and he was saying that in a weird way it almost feels like that from a need perspective we've both signed the player that the other one would fit in better to their team because Soboslai is seen as someone who's a bit more attacking they wanted uh, Madison as well and and they were linked with Soboslai as well wasn't they um, before he decided to go to Liverpool whereas the Liverpool perspective, it was all about the midfield rebuild and looking for someone defensive-ish in there. And they've um, got the attacking one instead. <laughs> I hadn't really given it too much thought, but the fact that you've mentioned that, that they have effectively bought each other's play, I think is a really accurate description of it. I, th- I think you're absolutely right with that. Uh, I think both players are going to be really, really good. Um, I-, I really like Sandro Tonali. He's always looked very exciting when I've watched AC Milan over the years uh, and he is still very very young but you know realistically what there's an awful lot of comparisons between him and Bruno Gimaraes so you know realistically why would you have both players it is an interesting choice and if you were to have both you would want someone really attacking to go alongside them someone like a James Madison or uh, or, or the one from Liverpool I'm not even going to remotely try and pronounce his name um, because Dave seemed to do it very, very well, uh, and therefore I would ruin it. Um, whereas, yeah. I've been I, practicing a lot over the last 48 hours. <laughs> back in a dark room somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas you're right, with Liverpool, I I wonder why they've done it. Not 
whether they'll necessarily change their position or they change their formation, but I perceive that as two tens, both them and Alexis McAllister. What I did find really strange, Adam, is the fact that there's been lots of players linked, but this one sort of came out of left field. No one was really talking about it. And then in the end, it felt inevitable because you'd heard about it for about three days or so. But I mean, before that, I don't even remember him being mentioned as a as a possible target. So I wonder if sometimes clubs don't necessarily identify something because they don't think a deal was possible. And then some so from nowhere, they then get a little bit of a, a nod, I guess, to say that actually this could be possible. And then all of a sudden in a short period of time, you think actually maybe, maybe we can do this. And then it just kind of spirals even exceeds their own expectations. Yeah. I, it's, it's a two pronged attack from my, my opinion. Um, Liverpool will have identified him months ago and will will have monitored him as well as a short list in that position of about 10 other players of which they have probably made initial conversations with the agents maybe as early as February or March if they were looking to do it in the summer window. They might have even had conversations over the last couple of years as he was developing at uh, at Leipzig. So it's, it's not necessarily something... You would hope most of the time, uh, and if you'd like more interest on how they do do the deals uh, in and around the transfer window, there's a very good BBC News article on it at the moment. Um, but uh, these sort of things have, should be identified with a clear strategy for many months, and it is something that Liverpool are pretty good at doing. I think the real thing, talking about why haven't we heard about it, is that most of the time these supposed transfer rumours are nonsense, and that they are made up by... Uh, a lot of reporters looking to generate traffic of various things. You know, uh, if we don't hear anything, it must mean that uh, that something else is happening. So let's speculate every player under the sun. Here we go. Well, I I <laughs> like to imagine that basically there's somewhere up in media mogul towers where they have big two big sort of spinning wheels. One of them is every player they've heard of over the last couple of weeks and every other major team. And they spin both of them and that's the transfer story. Because it does seem to be there's always seems to be such and such is linked with one of Liverpool Oh dear. Oh dear oh dear. Oh technology's oh. Us down. He span his wheel and he ended up kicking himself off the yeah. Zoom call. <laughs> I'll tell you what though, while we're while we're waiting for him to come back uh, do you know that one of the points that's, that's dawned on me is back. how the hell have RB Leipzig still got a team? Because it seems to me that every player that comes up for transfer lately has been either with or has been with RB Leipzig. It's, um, it's Ad- Ad- Adam's back to take that point. <laughs> yeah, apologies yeah. about that. I felt like it was an absolute roll and Zoom has massively let me down there, but we'll, yeah. we'll brush past it. Um, the reason they do is because they've got a really good production line of players and they wide sort of scouting network through uh, their other satellite teams. So a bit like Manchester City have got, a bit like Chelsea are trying to emulate. Um, there is always a strange production line of half decent players, often from uh, Central Africa or Eastern Europe, who at the moment are identified quite quickly by the Liefering slash Salzburg slash uh, Leipzig group. And then they are often done very well in those particular leagues. And because they've done had a pretty good stint in the Bundesliga, that's when the likes of the Premier League start to trust their their overall quality. Um, we saw it with Haaland. We've got Salazabai. Um, but the other one that I think is most likely to going to be start talking about again is a guy called Benjamin Sesko, who has started to go through that mm. that system. Who I've heard a few times. Yeah. Uh, inevitably, back to um, clearly, uh, Zoom was listening to my conspiracy uh, regarding the. Um, transfer rumours and how they are made. Uh, I look forward to reading one in various newspaper talking about Sesco to Man United this time next summer. Already been done. Already been done. Uh, yeah. A season or so ago, he was linked before before his, his last move. So, uh, yeah, the wheels are in motion somewhere, Adam. Well, even, even if it's just the Wheel of Fortune. So, yeah, it's um, it's a very common one, but it's uh, they are just very good at identifying players but you're right Eddie a lot of a lot of those major players and often a lot of major coaches I think it's something like a third of the coaches in the Bundesliga at some point have managed either at Leipzig or at Salzburg and part of their wider um philosophy mm, interesting isn't that interesting but I mean it could be a lot of Red Bull um what's it called um Red Bull, that's it. That's what it's called, isn't it? 
has wings. Yeah, as in the drink. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, that could have a bearing on it in that they're pumping money in pretty much, I should think, suspect, anyway. Because look at, look at, I mean, sport in general, motor racing, they're well at the top of that. Um, and as you say, they've got a production line producing players. Um, they're doing quite well as a whole, as a company, I would have well, thought. That they are. Um, I mean, they have unfortunately lost their um, their founder. He died not that long ago. But it's more that um, it's remarkable what happens when you spend a lot of money, but you actually spend it on a plan as opposed to just willy nilly. Mm, yeah, and they've also got um, aircraft uh, racing as well. They do, don't they? I think anything to do with adrenaline sports seem to be their thing. Um, yeah. um, so sort of high impact, high octane stuff. Uh, and then the Red Books, uh, Red Bull Soapbox race, which is my personal favourite when they just throw mm. small things down a hill. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, carry on, Dave. I do like the Soapbox um, races. Great. That is fun to watch. I agree with you there, Adam. Um, sticking with the, the transfer stuff, though, I do want to talk about clubs we don't necessarily always get a chance to talk about on the pod because um, I want to look at Luton because they're obviously, you would expect going to be up against it because all eyes are going to be on them they've done really well to sort of get from non-league to the Premier League in around about 10 years or so or, or, or whatever that time frame is but Rick looking at the recruitment I don't know if you might have seen because it's sort of gone under the radar but I'm just starting to question a little bit about their strategy because so far they're two big-ish signings I guess you could say was is Ogbene from Rotherham who is yeah. a Irish international and still relatively young, but obviously been playing at the lower reaches of the championship. And today they've completed the signing of Barnsley captain and centre-back Anderson, who's still relatively young and has had some good seasons in a successful campaign. And they just missed out on promotion, didn't they, at the end of um, last season. But like we touched on with Yeovil, if you sign... National League South players, are you going to end up in the National League South? And from Luton's perspective, they obviously want to shop where they know, but is that right? Do you see that the, the where they're shopping, are they going to need a bit more than this? Far be it from me to be cynical about the whole situation, but I think they're while they've got Premier League money, they're buying players for their next championship promotion campaign. They've just accepted the fact that they're not going to survive in the in the Premier League beyond one season and, and hopefully do what Burnley did and other clubs have done before, have that season in there. You drop out, you've got the money then. Next time you get promoted back into the Premier League, you're that bit stronger. And um, yeah, I would imagine that's what they're, what they're doing because I think it's a bit of a stretch. I don't, anyone's ever been more odds-on favourite to be relegated? Before the seasons even probably, started. probably similar to a Blackpool, I would have got, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be amazing, and it would be fantastic, and it would continue the fairy tale if they could stay there. But I think that they might actually just be being more pragmatic about it and buying, like I say, players that they think are going to be good Championship players when they're there, inevitably, very, very soon, and then be stronger the next time. The next time they come up, because that they must be ahead of schedule in their planning for things because they've done remarkably well in a very short period of time they're trying to buy I'm... mr chong did you see that rick who chong oh uh the ex united dad at birmingham yeah with the hair yeah yeah and apparently we, we we've got a pretty big um sell-on clause well that's that's the one thing that um united have been go back to united again but just very very briefly but they are notoriously bad sellers because they pay ridiculous wages. But with the youth, the younger players, what they're doing now is they're, they're selling them on quite low. But they are got really attractive uh, sell-on clauses involved in them so that it might not be this transfer that United... It's like with Asif Iqbal. Asif, yeah. Yeah, Iqbal, who, who's, yeah. who's just gone. The sell-on percentage with that, I think they've got a 40% sell-on clause from his next transfer. So... That's quite sensible. But, um, yeah, Luton are obviously going to be... They're going to buy players of a mind. They're, what they're going to be... They can't buy all the old players, like promoted teams used to, because they're all off to Saudi for millions. So perhaps, potentially, they've got to go look at it another way and buy potential 
and by high-end potential that they've identified while they've been in the championship. It's a recruitment thing as well, Adam, in terms of the fact that they'll be used to identifying players of a certain level. And now that they've got a little bit of a war chest from getting in the Premier League, that they don't want to then get away from the model that's been working for them up till now. I I actually, yeah, that that's my real view on it. It's the fact that if these are the types of signings Luton were identifying over the last 10 years, this yeah. sort of buying buying very low, buying obscure, this isn't anything new. The fact that they're competing in a new league, yes, but I think I can understand. I actually know the head of recruitment at Luton, and the the, the strategy has actually never really changed. This has always been the goal of, of Luton, was to buy very cheap, because they know they've never had the financial resources of the other clubs. They've still spent some money. They have to, to survive in the championship. And we will see a, a higher degree of spending in the in the Premier League than probably we've seen in Luton well in Luton's history realistically because the premiership is so much more lucrative than they were when they were last there back in the 80s um it's it is going to I actually just think it's business as usual whether they get relegated yes that seems fairly likely there is still a very strong correlation between how much you spend on wages and therefore the quality of players you bring in and whether you get relegated it's a pretty strong correlation and then you get occasional clubs like Chelsea that do give it a really really good go to go against uh, go against the grain and spend lots of money and still be rubbish but Luton will That's a fair comment <laughs> Luton will be Luton will struggle that Luton will treat it the same I don't way want to be too disrespectful there Adam either with the players that I've ad- identified but I just think think I mean more from a from a fan perspective I yeah. guess that getting into They're the Premier League and then you might think oh maybe I'm not quite as overwhelmed um well you feel a bit underwhelmed, I guess. Which, whichever way you look at it, they are not exciting signings, but that's precisely their goal. I think a lot of their players, That's if you're a Luton fan, you still still can't quite believe you're there. I think, yeah. I think there are so many comparisons. That's a very good point, Steve. There are so many still buzzing between you know, what Luton are currently feeling and what Yeovil felt when we were in the Championship. We couldn't quite believe we were there. And we had a year of laughs and we went to some right weird places that we never thought we'd ever see Yeovil play. We didn't have the particularly the largest budget. We gave it a damn good go. And eventually, unfortunately, we got relegated. That may still well may well still be the case for Luton. But I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion either way. Would we have liked them to spend a little bit more money? Yes, probably. But they just re-signed Carlton Morris to, uh, you know... They still two. might, of course. Absolutely, yeah, they might still do that. They, you know, they, they've they've put under contract some of these other players. Wages will go up because they have now somehow got to the Premier League, which is really exciting for them. Uh, and they will have a season of very, very interesting stuff. But Luton, unlike many, many clubs across England, have a plan. Uh, and they're probably going to stick to that plan and they will be far better off for it in the long run. A little bit like Nottingham Forest, when you look at that. I mean, they were in a, in a position when they, they had another blitz with the checkbook. And it's done the job for them. But before that point, they were going to go down, weren't they? They were looking dead certs to go down. But I mean, he's, he's spent a hell of a lot of money. Absolutely. But that's that's the those are the two strategies you can really take. You can either be very shrewd with your recruitment and you put in a lot of money and a lot of strategy into your strategy or you throw a lot of money at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, that's exactly what Nottingham Forest did. The source of funding will also be very different as well. Uh, Nottingham Forest's uh, owner is, of course, a Greek shipping magnate, whereas I believe the Luton's owners are still two local men. So it's going to be a slightly different uh, strategy to all of this, but will be a very, very interesting one and one for the romantics, if nothing else. Yeah, we've only got really a couple of minutes out to the pod now but aid i just wanted to touch on wolves as well because they look like they're in a similar position you're talking about possibly not having a plan because they've been sort of hit by this financial fair play that they find themselves in a lot of their players have gone they've uh, just accepted a bid for one of their center backs um to go to brentford and kilman's had a the other centre-back has had a bid rejected from Napoli and they might come back in for him. They might start the season with no defenders and can't can't bring anybody in. So they might have to be a little bit careful. Well, yeah, of course, they opened their campaign at Old Trafford as well, which will uh, hopefully give them a problem to think about. But, yeah, they will, quite. And, uh, you know, I mean, financial fair play, I think this is the first season where we've been really conscious of the fact that 
even the big clubs, and I, by that I mean United, Wolves, are suddenly having a major problem with it. And, you know, it, 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 it's doing now exactly what it was meant to do. It's just taken a few years to really become a useful tool, as it were, to, to keep things under control. Yeah, for some clubs, I, I've noticed in the press this week, has it gone up to 116 now? Yeah, you mentioned that. Another one, is it? Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, we are out of time. <laughs> Indeed we are. Chris Farlow, if I remember rightly, out of time. Do you remember that one? Anyway, there you go. So, um, Adam, thank you very much, mate, for, for coming on. Uh, uh, congratulations again with the article and uh, thank thanks you for your insight on the pod tonight. Pleasure as always. Ricky, thank you very much, mate. Always, always, always a pleasure. 116 pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> good night from myself, Dave Pryor, as well. And AD, see us out, my friend. Yes, good night from me as well. And another edition of Football Bloody Hell Bites the Dust. Oh, <laughs>